Good to see everybody here this morning. I'm glad all to have our campers back from camp and all the counselors. I think we had a total of about 40 people there that were from here that were actually helping out with camp. So thank you and, and glad everybody's back safely. How many of you actually saw all the images from the James Webb Space Telescope this past week? Okay, some of us did. I'm going to put some of these on the screen and let you kind of see these. We're going to darken it so it'll look better. But uh, as we looked at that, as I looked at those, in the scheme of God's magnificent creation, I just feel small. I mean, you think, I mean, I just really feel like maybe it's just a grain of sand. I mean, who is, who is the creator of the universe that he is mindful of us, of you, and me? Who are we that the creator actually knows our names, our identity, who we are? We are known by God. He knows us, and he knew us even before the creation of the world. Before he spoke a word, he knew each and every one of us. From the foundation of the world, he has known us. We are known. Our names are written in the book of life before any one of them came to be. This book contains each of your names. Each and every one of you, that name is written in that book of life. This is where we all begin. All of us begin known by God before the creation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says this, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Our names are written in that book before any one of them came to be. And you are loved. You are cherished by God. He knows the depth of each and every one of your hearts. He knows you. He knows your dreams. He knows your hurts. He knows your aspirations. He knows you. How should we respond to such a wonderful and loving God? The ancient of days, when there is no beginning... And no end, how should we respond to him? Well, we praise him, right? Like we've done this morning, we praise him in song. We lift our voices up in song and give him glory and honor, the honor due his name. And we bring our prayers of praise up before him each and every day. Not just once, but maybe multiple times a day that we bring these prayers up to our Father. I love Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says this. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. At some point before the creation of the world, can you hear our Father say, it's not good for me to be alone. I want to have a family. I want to be a husband. I want to take a bride and have children. I want to share my love with those who I've created in my own image. I want to care for them, providing for them. I want to be their father. 
teaching them, instructing them, and preparing them for an eternity to be with me. I want a household. Our God, through His Word, has revealed to us, disclosed to us, He has disclosed to us very intimate things about who He is about what He is, how He expects His children, how He expects each and every one of us to live, to conduct our lives. He has spoken, and the words from His mouth created the heavens and the earth. He spoke, and the earth was formed. All right, before we get into the rest of our text this morning and our scriptures this morning, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Lord, as we saw the images on the screen, we are in awe. In awe of your majesty, your glory. And Lord, we do feel so small. And who am I that you are mindful of me? Who are we that you consider us, that you know us, each and every one of us? Lord, we praise you, we love you, we honor you. And may our lives be a sacrifice that is a pleasing aroma to you each and every day. Lord, thank you for blessing us and be with us as we study. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. During our trip to Israel, every single day, we got up and we recited the Shema. The Shema means to hear. The Shema is the kind of a traditional foundation of the Jewish faith, but also of the Christian faith as well. And every morning we would say this in Hebrew and in English. Okay, in a moment I'm going to ask us all to stand. I'll try and say it in Hebrew. And then I'll ask you to join me in English. So if you would, would you please stand as we speak the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Elohinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha, Bechol Levavka, Uvaho Navashavka, Uvaho Meodecha. Vahavta Reacha Kamoka. Ready? Here, wait, wait, wait. The words are not exactly like you, you do them. So read them. No, go back. Yeah, that's good. All right, here we go. Ready? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. You may be seated. John begins his gospel with these words in John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so this morning I want us to grasp, to take hold of the importance of this one scripture, this one verse, as we continue in our series on identity. So let's dig in. It would be easy for us to just go past this verse. Just go past this verse. And the reason is we know where John's going with this verse. We know that in verse 2 and verse 14, he's leading us back to Jesus. 
we look at this word and we say, yes, it's, it's the word, it's Jesus. But that's what we automatically think. Now remember, remember, in Greek, not one of these, there's, not, there's no capitalization in Greek. No capitalization in the Bible. So when it says logos here, which is the word, it's not capitalized. That's something, that's something your Bibles, your editors of your Bibles do to help you understand that that word means Jesus. And yes, we will get there at some point in that. But I believe there's a deeper premise in this one verse if we will just stay on it and look at it this morning. And what I want to do, and, and we'll put this on the screen, I think we, we all, all of us know who God's Word is, is who the Word is, but do we know what the Word is? We know who the Word is, but do we know what the Word is? Do you remember what the word Shema means? What did I tell you? What did I say? It means to hear, to listen, to pay close attention. So I'm going to need you to do that today. I'm going to need you to Shema as we go through this lesson today. Remember, we're answering the question, what is God's word? What is God's word? God spoke. He created. It came into existence. What is His Word? The Word which came from God's mouth, it created. It created. It formed. And that's who His identity is. God's identity comes out of His words. We know who God is because He has led us and actually revealed that to us through His words. What were the first words out of God's mouth that we have recorded? Anybody? In the beginning. In the beginning... God created, in the beginning, God said, let there be what? Light. Let there be light, and there was light. The words that came out of his mouth, when those words came out of his mouth, it created light. They, his words have power. When God unleashed his voice, a formless earth began to be formed and shaped into the image that he wanted it. The power of God's word. God is om omnipotent, meaning he has all power. He's omniscient, meaning he is all-knowing. And he's omnipresent, which means he is in all places at all times. This is God's divine identity, who he is. But he also went a step further with you and us. He actually created man, and he placed his image in each one of us. The Imago Dei, he placed his image in you, in me, in us. He placed it in us. Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. With the word, God brought forth children made in his image. He spoke and humanity was created. Now, how powerful, how powerful is that? That a God can just speak and everything come into existence. His word brought life. His word is truth. His word, the word which proceeded out of his mouth, 
of God is just, and it is righteous, it is holy, and it is love. And I could go on and on about what the Word of God that comes out of His mouth is. And remember, remember, God is disclosing to us some things that are very intimate to Him. Very intimate to Him. He's letting us in on things, and he's, he, we are what, what He expects of us. What He wants from us, His children, to live and conduct our lives in a worthy manner that God wants us to. How our Heavenly Father wants us to obey and actually listen to Him. He does this through His Word that He speaks to you and to me. And I can hear you saying right now, well, James, isn't everything that he says, isn't it all God? I mean, we have the Bible, isn't that all God's Word? Isn't everything in there God's Word? I believe the words of God, which proceed from the mouth of God, are weighted. They carry weight. And I've said this before, they carry weight. His spoken words carry weight. God spoke, spoken word had power. Power to create. When he spoke, it had power. Power. With his words, he brought the world into existence. With the spoken word, he instructs. The words of God's mouth that come out of his mouth are life. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live by bre- on bread alone, but by every word which, say it with me, comes forth from the mouth of God. Comes forth from the mouth of God. Okay, in my daily Bible reading, I, I read six chapters a day. I read one from the, the law. I read one uh, from the history. I read one from Psalms, two from uh, the prophets, and one from the New Testament. And I can tell you that that's principle that I am telling you shows up almost every week in my reading. Every time, every time, during the week, there's, there's this principle that comes out. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles, grab your electronic devices, if you would. So I'm going to take you on a journey, if you don't mind. We're going to put up some Scripture references up here. All right, I'm going to go, first of all, to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22 is the story of Balak and Balaam. Balak is the king of Moab. The Israelites have come into his territory. Uh, Balak, as the king of Moab, does not want them there. So he asks this diviner that he knows, Balaam, to come and actually curse the, the Israelites so that he can go in and actually take over them. Okay? So that's what he's doing. So he's asked Balaam to come and actually do that, or he wants him to. That's where we are. We're at that point where he wants him to. Chapter 22, verse 9. And God came to Balaam and said, so so Balak sent all his messengers to Balaam. And God said to Balaam, who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So those people go back. 
And now he sends his princes back to Balaam again. And look down in verse uh, 18. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, who are these princes? He says, though Balak were to give me a full, uh, his, his full house full of silver or gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. Verse 20, 20. And God came to Balaam that night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but, listen, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Now, that whole section there is a section that we all know because it's of the talk, talking donkey. Okay? That's the next part right there. And so, the donkey speaks. The angel of the Lord gets in front of them. And kind of, he's going to kill Balaam. And the donkey is the one that saves Balaam. Okay, look at verse 34. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. Look at verse 38. Balaam said to Balak, Behold, I have come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that must I speak. Verse chapter 23, verse 5. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. Verse, chapter, uh, verse 12 of chapter 23. And he answered and said, Must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Verse 16. And the Lord met Balaam and put word, a word in his mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus shall you speak. Verse 25. And Balak, this is a king, saying to Balaam, Do not curse him at all. Do not bless him at all. But Balaam answered Balak, Did I not tell you all that the Lord says that I must do? Look in verse 13 of chapter 24. And they asked him again. He said, If Balak should give me his house full of silver or gold, I would not be able to go against, go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad on my own, my own will. What the Lord speaks, that will I speak. All right, go over to Numbers chapter 27 real quick, verse 12. This is different now. Moses is getting ready, and God's talking to Moses as he's about getting ready to go up on that mountain of Erebim and uh, actually die, Okay. God's going to take him. Now, why is he going to take him? That's what we're looking at here. Verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Go up into the mountain of Abiram and see the land I have given to the people of Israel. When you have seen it, you also will be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was, because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zin when the congregation quarreled failing to uphold me as holy in the waters before their eyes. Now remember, I'm just doing the readings that I had this, week, this, this past week. All right, so go on to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 6. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 14. This is, this is where David, Solomon is dedicating the temple. And so Solomon has built his temple and he's about to dedicate it. And this is what he says in verse 14. O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, 
keeping covenant, showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with your heart, who have kept you, your, who have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth, and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Okay, go over to Psalm chapter eighty-nine. Psalm chapter eighty-nine. Verse 34 and 35. It says, I will not violate my covenant. This is God. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. Flip over to 103. Chapter, uh, chapter 103 of Psalm, verse 17, 18, 20, and 21. But the steadfast Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. Verse 20, bless the Lord, you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of of His Word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Even the angels are subject to this same principle. Okay, go over to Ezekiel chapter 25. Ezekiel chapter 24. Most of us have probably never heard this little story. We get in Ezekiel and it just goes nuts in our head, but this is unbelievable. The word of the Lord came to me, verse 15, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, behold, I'm about to take the delight of your eyes away from you at a stroke, yet you shall not mourn or weep, nor shall your tears run down, sigh, but not aloud, make no mourning for the dead, bind on your turban, put your shoes on your feet. Do not cover your lips, nor eat the bread of men. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and at the evening, my wife died. On the next morning, I did as I was commanded. 19. And the people said to me, Will you not tell us what these things mean for us that you are acting thus? Then I said to them, The word of the Lord came to me, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord. Okay, next one, Matthew chapter 4. This is the temptation of Jesus. Verse 3. And the tempter came and said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, Man should not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, the more I read, the more I read, the more this principle actually shows up in Scripture over and over and over. It jumps off the pages. It's everywhere if you're looking for it. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And remember our text today. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Before God spoke, before He spoke, all power and authority already belonged to Him. 
And when he spoke, he actually created. And that power, that power of the spoken word that brought the heavens and everything that you saw already and the stars and everything, it runs through each and every one of us. That word ought to run through each and every one of us. How can I not but speak the very words of God? How can I not but speak that? There was a time in our culture when those in authority, their words actually meant something. Their words had power and presence, and they, their words usually rang true. Not so much anymore. Not so much. And going beyond the obvious of our secular society out there, those words which lacked authenticity and often lacked truth, the same thing that is going on in our culture is actually going on in our churches. In a recent study, which was posted on July 9th of this year, just a week and a half ago, it was a survey of a thousand pastors, preachers across the United States, and they took a survey to determine, to determine if they had a biblical world view. Of those surveyed in mainline churches, only 32% of the ministers held a biblical worldview, according to George Barna, his research team, also at the Arizona Christian University. 32%. These are the ministers and preachers that are actually preaching in our pulpits today. Okay? Barna's concluding remarks are this. He says this. We cannot attend a church hoping and willing to be spoon-fed theological truth. A healthier way of seeing our church experience would be to do our homework and choose a church we believe is faithful to the Word of God and then to test and verify everything that we receive in the teaching from the church. When objective data shows that the teaching of most pastors and ministers cannot be trusted, we dare not ignore that warning. He goes on to say, although millions of believers will be uncomfortable with that responsibility, this shift is actually in our best interest. Rather than going to church so that an experienced and educated person will teach us what to think, this research should motivate us to view a pastor or minister as a guide rather than as an authoritative source of God's truth. Ultimately, we are responsible for our personal spiritual condition and growth. Verifying whatever we are being taught, no matter how godly or righteous the teacher may seem, enhances our facility with God's Word, our capacity to grow in it, and our confidence that our chosen church is a spiritually safe place to be. In the end, Barna says, God will hold you responsible for what you choose to believe and how you live. On Judgment Day, you will not escape responsibility for bad choices by pointing your finger at the minister who proposed those beliefs or behaviors. The full responsibility for what you believe and how you apply those beliefs, regardless of what influenced your choices, it lies on your shoulders. And that's hard, but it's true. One sentence in that study I want to go back to is this. Do your homework and choose a church you believe is faithful to the Word of God. 
And how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we choose a church that is faithful to the Word of God? And the reason this is difficult, the reason this is difficult, I believe we have been so confused. And the reason I believe, believe we are so confused is because we do not know what God's Word is. We know who God's Word is, but we don't know what God's Word is. Remember my role in the series, I told you last week that I was going to, I was going to actually challenge your assumptions make you think. And here's what I need from you. I need you to check me out. I need you to check me out. I need you to keep an eye on me. Why? Because you will have to answer for your own beliefs, each and every one of you. Your choices, they all lie on your shoulders. So regardless of who influences you or who's on this stage, ultimately it all boils down to this is your choice. Our goal ought to be to learn, to discover, to dig. We need to be like the Bereans who searched the Scriptures daily, daily, to find out what was in there. And don't think for a moment that this leaves me off the hook. It does not. In fact, it would be twice as bad, three times, four times as bad, if I try and lead you astray. That's what James chapter 3, verse 1 says, and it says this, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So it is vitally imperative that we answer the question today is what is God's word? And remember, this is about his identity. It's about his div divine identity. It's about who he is and his self-disclosure to you and to me. There's a phrase that I have written in three of my Bibles. All of them just like this. And in that phrase, I put it on the screen. Here's what it says. There is a God, and He has spoken. And what He has said has been accurately and correctly written down. And all mankind will be held responsible, accountable and responsible to the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Therefore, we must listen to Him. And that's my mentor in Texas, Ron Warpole, who's a forensic theologian. At least that's what he gave it, the name to him himself, the title. I believe everything in this book is true. I believe it is correct. I believe it is accurate. I believe it is historically accurate. The genealogies are correct. They're correct. And they're accurate. In Genesis 1, from the last amen to Revelation, this is true. It is written in that historical context with names and places and events. It is true and error-free. But brothers and sisters, we do not live by the historical context. We don't. We don't live by historical context. That's not what governs our lives. What governs our lives as believers is the Word of God which proceeds out of His mouth. That's what governs our lives. We live on every word that proceeds out of his mouth. Do we believe when Satan spoke? Do we take that as God's word? No. Why? It's evil. It's not God's word. Is it in there? Is it correct? Is it there for us to understand? Yes. It was his words written down correctly. Absolutely they were written down correctly. But they're not for us to live on. Right? 
We don't live on Satan's words. Whose words do we live on? On God's. We live on the Word of God. And there's a greater witness to this principle. The greatest witness to this principle is Jesus Himself. Jesus Himself. He spoke the very words of God. Okay, I want to read this passage in John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50. Then Jesus cried out, cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him on the last day. Here's a point. For I did not speak on my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me, just like we saw in Numbers chapter 22, 23, and 24, just the same. The Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that His command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So yes, I put more weight on the words of God and the words of Jesus. I do, because that's what Jesus told me to do. That's what my Savior told me to do. Have the words of God been written down? Have the words of Jesus been written down accurately and correctly? Absolutely they have. But, those, but, not, but Satan's words, as I said, they're not God's words. The reason there are 33,000 different Christian traditions in our world today is because we fail to answer this question. What is God's Word? What is God's Word? When everything is God's Word, we are able to fashion the Bible into our own liking. This is the reason for so much division in Christendom. This is the reason we have a difficult time getting along with those even in our own tribe. So are we going to Shema today? Are we going to actually hear? Are we going to listen? Are we going to pay close attention? Are we going to hear and listen and obey the words of God that He has spoken, the words that proceed out of His mouth that came from the mouth of Jesus? Jesus abided by this principle. I think it's something that we need to do as well. All right, I'd like everybody to stand one more time. 